Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. I'm Megan. And I'm TC. And I'm Isaac. We are so glad that you have set aside some time to hang out with us today. In each episode of this podcast, it is our goal to share with you as parents what we are learning while working and ministering to teenagers at Three Circle Church. We want to come alongside you as the number one disciple maker in your teen's life and help to equip you to raise kids who love God, love others, and love the church. Today, we are talking about the topic of suicide. September is Suicide Awareness Month, and so we wanted to equip you as parents to have a conversation with your teenager. Today, we have with us Lindsay Lee, who is a licensed mental health professional here in Fairhope, Alabama. Lindsay specializes in the treatment of adolescents and young adults struggling with adjustment issues, anxiety, and depression. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Good morning, Lindsay. Morning. Thank you. So, Lindsay, tell us your just experience. Um, you, You worked in high schools. Tell us a little bit about your background in mental health. So I started my career um, in 2014 working for Baldwin County DHR or Houston County DHR um, as a social worker. And then I switched to the schools um, and did school social work for eight years in Fairhope and Daphne. Um, And I decided I wanted to spend some more intentional time with teenagers and be able to do some some harder work with them. So I went out on my own um, this past year to have my own practice in Fairhope and see kids in a private practice setting. Very cool. So Lindsay, we are going to kind of let you handle some of these questions (laughs) because you're definitely uh, the most equipped professional in the room here. You know, we working with teenagers see a lot of this, uh, but we know that you have the knowledge and wisdom to kind of point us and parents today in the right direction when we're starting to have these conversations with teenagers. So with the teenagers that live in our home, the teenagers we come in contact with, we really want to try to equip parents and anybody who's listening today to have some health the conversations about mental health and about suicide. So we're just going to dive right in because we got like 30 (laughs) minutes here. Yeah. Is there any other way? There's no, there's no segue here. Um, But we have some questions just for you, Lindsay. Uh, First off, just starting off, just uh, for parents who are listening today, at what point do you believe that they should start to be concerned about their student, their teenagers' mental health? Um, because we we kind of see the mental health side of this as the on-ramp. A lot of times at Three Circle, we talk about how you don't just wake up one day and decide, um, I'm going to have a suicidal thought today. Or, you know, in other ways, I'm not going to, I'm going to steal something today. Or I'm going to, right. you know, wreck my marriage today. You know, it's a, it's a process. Right. And so we feel like mental health is kind of the on-ramp um, to suicide. So at what point or in, when should parents start kind of, you know, antenna goes up and start kind of asking questions to their teenager? So I think in today's world, I mean, paying attention to your kid's mental health, you have to start before there's a crisis. So you have to start in middle school, um, probably before middle school, prepping them for being able to have conversations with you, um, open conversations about themselves or their friends and um, what's going on in their world and their head. And some of those warning signs when you know, okay, this is too much. This isn't a normal in quotes, you know, situation is like when they start withdrawing, um, they 
lose functioning, level of functioning like sleeping, eating, um, going to school, you know, you just notice you're, you're, you're the expert on your kid most of the time as far as what's normal for them and what's not. Um, but I think paying attention to their mental health, you have to do that before, you know, early on before there's something wrong. Um, and that way that door is open and that conversation has been had of, you know, hey, if if you're ever not feeling like yourself or you're not okay, like, you know, you can talk to me as your parent, um, being calm, making sure that, you know, your reaction is calm for the child and not panic when you start to notice some signs or symptoms that things may not be completely okay. Goodness. So, so having relational equity, I guess, is the mom or the dad mm-hmm. to help your teenager identify, Hey, Hey, we're a safe place. Yes. This is home, but also we're a safe place. And early on yes. because there's the pressure to, you know, I don't want to be a helicopter parent. Well, at some point you have to be involved mm-hmm. right in your, in your child's life. So that's huge. One thing too that I love that you said is don't react, you know, in the moment. I think so often I'm a mom too. And so, (laughs) so the, the non-reaction side and just kind of taking it in, processing it, not letting your face show your emotion and letting the teenager know this is a safe place. Like Mm -hmm. I can be trusted with this. Thank you for trusting me with this. And then acting on it, I think is so huge for what you just said. So yeah. 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 Lindsay, just quick question. I, I think even now compared to five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, mental health has become so much more of a kind of hot topic sort of thing. Have you seen uh, like over the years of your experience, like kids getting younger and younger and younger dealing with mental health issues? Yes, definitely. Um, and that's where like we all have mental health. We're on a spectrum. We're all mentally healthy at different times and mentally unhealthy at different times. I mean, it just looks different depending on the person, their background. Um, But as far as the struggles that kids face today that do impact their mental health, they are starting younger. And I mean, it's evident in our client populations. Like my youngest that I see is eight um, and I'm not a play therapist. So a lot of what I do is talk therapy but with an eight-year-old. So I have to kind of um, address that. And it's and a lot of times with that age, it's not that there's anything wrong with them, but the world is so hard these days that they have to have a safe space to process. Um, And luckily, parents are recognizing that at a younger age, that it's okay if my kid needs a therapist at eight or 10 or 12, um, preventatively before we get into high school where everything goes nuts so yeah, <laughs> yeah the world is crazy yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no I remember yeah 10 10 15 years ago when I whenever I was in middle school I didn't even know what mental health was right yeah. and now now they're talking about it when they're in fourth fifth yeah grade right yeah. that's that's wild yep so uh I guess when it comes to um social media and obviously culture maybe even I don't know how much it would it would um drip into just screen time in general. How do we combat culture and social media, especially in a culture that sensationalizes suicide? Like it's, you know, it's a badge of honor to to take this route. How do, how do you combat that? What would you suggest to parents or anyone listening in to this? Well, I think getting ahead of the conversation before someone else has it with your kid. Um, and social media and culture will do that. Um, 
they whether it's about sex or you know all the all the other hot topics out there they will also have that conversation about suicide they will hear it at school at a younger age that some kid didn't want to be alive anymore um and then they'll see it on social media whether you try to put them in a bubble or not um so part of you know as youth pastors like what y'all are doing right now is having that conversation and opening that door um, before they seek it out from somebody else. Yeah. And so I think that's the great thing with parents is, like I said, like getting opening that door so the kid doesn't have to come to them for the first time about mental health and say, also, I don't want to be alive. Mm-hmm. Like that right. is what I hear a lot that they, you know, culture has maybe put some things in their head, but also they're struggling and they don't know how to approach somebody about it because that door has never been open to talk about it. That's so Um, good, Lindsay. Yeah, like just Google is like (laughs) parents' worst enemy sometimes, I think, or TikTok or whatever it is that they have a search engine that they can just go plug in a few words and the world is now telling them what is true instead of Scripture or the Bible or, you know, our parents who are loving the Lord and trying to disciple their kids. Google has all the answers. And so that is so, so good just to get ahead of culture and get ahead of what they're searching for, what their friends are talking about. I think that is gold. Yeah, that's such a relief too. Like that's a great way you framed it up. They're already talking about it. Mm -hmm. So why not join in on the conversation? Right. You know what I mean? Give them an on-ramp or an open door. Uh, I'm just thinking of the parent, myself included. Like there's a part of me that's like, oh, I hope I never have to bring it up. No, no. Bring it up. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be brought up by someone else. Why not let it be you? Right. That's it's like the boogeyman sometimes to talk about suicide. I hear parents be like, well, I don't want to do that because that will put the thought in their head. No, that's not research doesn't show that that's gonna like make them wanna gotcha. do that. Um it's it's good to have that conversation for them to talk about their friends too. Like if they feel comfortable, you're gonna be the parent that they can say, Hey, my best friend is having this thought. Because you didn't overreact or you didn't have a, no, we don't talk about this right. reaction to it. Right. That's so good. That's so good. Lindsay, what would you say in your professional guesstimate, the <laughs> amount of <laughs> bullying that happens on social media compared to face-to-face? It's a lot more now on social media. Um, the kids really don't say as much face-to-face anymore, and that's why a lot of my clients have suggest blocking the person because you don't allow them access to you because a lot of times that person will not um, say it in person. Um, But we deal with that in the schools or I did for a while. We could address bullying on social media in the schools now because it was affecting kids on campus. So there's a law in place to address it from a school standpoint, despite it happening on social media, because that's how prevalent it is yeah yeah i don't want to call out one in particular app but like is there like one that maybe some of your clients that really like this app is like where it happens at i mean it's always snapchat or instagram (laughs) (laughs) and it's pretty much always snapchat it disappears on snapchat (laughs) yeah so they say you know well yeah yeah social media blessing and curse Mm -hmm. yes or tiktok actually there's a lot of tiktok Video, oh, wow. video bullying happening. Wow. They'll take pictures of kids at school and post it on their TikTok. Um, Sheesh. That's new. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So carrying on kind of into the uh, um, uh, kind of social media sort of age and uh, getting into like, I'm, I'm, I'm even thinking about just my childhood. Like just, I mean, this was the 2000s, 2010s. Like 
my dad, like my dad, my mom, a lot of times would just be like, hey, just, hey, let's toughen up. Hey, just kind of get it together. Mm -hmm. And so like maybe there are some parents out there that still kind of have that attitude. It's like, hey, just toughen up. Come on. Like, like you can get over it. Like it's, it's not that big of a deal. At what point is that not the correct answer? And that, that kind of, that's a really good question. (laughs) Um, That goes back to when I talked about like daily functioning and ability to function because it's okay to be uncomfortable. And I think teenagers really hate being uncomfortable. And when I was in the schools, I had to push a lot. Like you have to go to class. This is your job. Like you're going to be uncomfortable. You can feel some level of anxiety and, and get through this. But then there's a level where they're not able to function. It's beyond that. Um, and you can tell they're trying and it's not whatever they're trying is not working. And I think that's when it's like, okay, we have to seek professional help because they're clearly trying, we're trying, and we've done all that's in our tool, our tool belt. So, um, it's hard to know, but I think there is a push that needs to happen. They can't just give up doing anything. (laughs) Um, and teenagers are black and white thinkers, so they either (laughs) want to do nothing or do everything. Um, (laughs) so (laughs) that is so true. (laughs) You have to push them as parents to live their life and like get out of bed and go to school and eat and sleep. But, um, you know, there is a level where they can't, they can't just pray it away sometimes, which sounds bad, but parents, you know, want to make them push and they by themselves, they need extra help. They need the youth pastor. They need, um, the extra counselor to do it as a team instead of just alone. Yeah, it kind of sounds like uh, all going all the way back to the relational equity you have with your student. Mm-hmm. Like you have to know your students' tendencies yeah. and their rhythm, their their patterns, and all that. And just like whenever you just see that sudden shift, shift, then it may not be, "Hey, get it together." Yeah, mm-hmm. right. That's Lindsay, so kind of in that same vein, can you just kind of explain to us just just briefly for the parent listening the difference between what you would say is a situation anxiety, depression versus clinical, like something that's just a little bit more. Can you kind of explain those two and what that looks like in the life of a teenager? Right. Um, Yeah, I think like in our county, the schools, if I think about social anxiety, the schools are so big. So these kids are having to go to school every day with like 1,700, 1,900 kids. Um, So a lot of people just are introverts. They don't like that. So situationally, school is not a fun or safe place for them, um, especially high school, because they don't want to be around that many people. And I spend a lot of time telling kids, like, you will never not be in control of being around that many people again. Like after high school, you will you will not be forced into these situations. So um, being around people you don't like, you know, there's just a lot out of their control. So situational anxiety or depression mainly anxiety is normal in high school because there's so much they don't dictate. Um, But then clinical anxiety and depression, you know, when they're alone or they're out of whatever situation causes them the most stress and they're still having symptoms um, of struggling with anxiety, panic attacks, or sadness, crying spells, withdrawing, you know, that's when, okay, this is this is beyond, okay, we got out of this situation. We still don't feel good. It's the same with grief. You know, there's no time limit on grief, but if it's extended 
a long period of time and it's still affecting you at the same level, you know, six months, a year down the road, then maybe it's moved into a clinical depression situation, um, for lack of a better word. So, because, um, there are things that are normal in life to feel it's normal to feel and to hurt. Um, but it's really about how you, how you're able to live Mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. Could you just kind of give us, uh, just in your experience, kind of like a practical example of like more of a situational, uh, Mm -hmm. moment of anxiety compared to like, okay, this is something that may have to be clinically, um, um, given out or like, this is clinical anxiety. I I think what what he's getting, I'm sorry to interrupt. So like for us too, we see teenagers all the time. So like, at what point should we as youth youth pastors go, Okay, we need to call Lindsay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, what are what would you say are our warning Like signs? a breakup yeah. versus not wanting to get out of bed. Yeah, like, right. like what, what's yeah, happening? I'm thinking about right. yeah, I'm thinking about like the student who doesn't want to sit with all the other students on a Wednesday night. Like, right. who just wants to sit in the back? They may be an introvert. They may not like the crowd. Is like okay. It's like. Do I need to do I need to call up Lindsay or, or do I just need to be like, hey mom, he just didn't want to sit sit with the with the yeah. with, with with everybody else tonight. No no big deal. It was a tough Wednesday, like, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and that's where I feel like that definitely is like personal preference sometimes, and kids will withdraw. I have kids that have panic attacks during assemblies or while speaking in front of a class, um, but it doesn't affect them anywhere else. They can get in the batter's box and (laughs) um, play in a baseball and softball game, and they don't care if they're in the spotlight. Or I have a kid that has anxiety that does theater, and she has absolutely no panic attacks on stage. But um, so it really, if they're having anxiety when there's no trigger, I think that's um, when it's like, okay, let's talk to somebody or if they're wanting to sit with kids and then their anxiety is keeping them from doing that. I hear that a lot. That's a, a kid point. wants to go to homecoming. They want to be able to go to football games, but their anxiety is so bad. They can't get out of the car. Yeah, that's good. Gotcha. Um, so that's it's really about their wants. Wow. Yeah. So for mom and dad, parents trying to normalize the conversation, of mental health. Uh, it can be a scary on-ramp even for moms and dads, right? How or, or what would you say are some healthy questions we can ask students to see where they are uh, to begin the conversation? Maybe, you know, maybe you got a mom or dad listening in and, and they don't have that relational equity. And so I would imagine it's it's a little daunting going, okay, I know I need to talk to my teenager, but I, I don't just need to talk to them. I need to talk to them about this uh, what would you say to to that person? I mean, I think that teenagers are always going to be uncomfortable in conversations with their parents. <laughs> Period. But I think I hear the most that they wish the parent would have that conversation. Like, I don't hear a kid say, gosh, my mom always wants to <laughs> talk about mental health and um, I just don't want to talk to her. I mean, sometimes I'll hear that, but most of the time it's like, they wish the parent had noticed or they were grateful that the parent brought them to counseling because that is a very um, hard thing. I think as a parent to bring them to counseling and offer a safe space with somebody that's not you. Um, And so having a conversation and just saying like, Hey, I've noticed you aren't yourself. Um, Can we talk about this? Like, I know we've never talked about mental health before, but 
how are you doing? I know I check on your physical health all the time, but maybe I haven't been checking on that as a parent um, as far as your mental health and see, um, you know, how they've been feeling. If there's anything stressing them out, they talk about stress all the time. That's a very easy um, <laughs> on-ramp with That's kids is, That's true. is what's stressing you always lately. Stressed out. Always stressed out. <laughs> yeah. And not letting it stress you as the parent out. Because again, that's the biggest thing I hear from teenagers is, well, that I can't talk to my parent about that because it stresses them out. Um, or they'll start, we'll start yelling. You know, it's just like, even if they're not yelling, they feel like they're in trouble and they can't talk about stressful things because the parent becomes stressed. Um, so when you're having that intentional time, trying not to make the student feel like they have to take care of you, um, Goodness, which oh, I know man. is like so hard as a parent. Um, and if it's too hard, that's when you have somebody else have that conversation. <laughs> would it would it be safe to say that the parent's job is simply to care? Yes. Period. Because I think there's a, the pressure, like there's these moms. Well, I got to have this conversation with my teenager, and I also have to have the the right answer that really a professional counselor should have. Right. And that's not your job. Your no. job is just to listen and to care. And that's what I say a lot to kids is like your parents should not be your therapist and they can't do mm. that. Um, they can't be, you know, everything to you all the time. They're your parent. And same for the parent. Like I try to take that off them. You shouldn't have to be the cop and the therapist and oh, man, that's the, good. you know, like spiritual leader. You know, there's all right. these things that they're trying to be. And sometimes it gets it gets to be a lot when they're in charge of everything and there's a lot of conflict. That's why yep. high school is so hard. <laughs> wow. That's so good. So Lindsay, I know it, you may not have a good answer for this and that's okay. She probably does. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I sh I'm going to be re-listening to this like 17 times. <laughs> um, but what would you say? Like, I'm just thinking just like for the parent out there who's just like, Hey, give me some practical kind of steps on what to do. What would be like a good weekly rhythm, daily rhythm, uh, maybe in some cases uh, for a parent-student uh, conversation about mental health? And it may be uh, on a student-to-student -student base, uh, how, how the student is feeling that week, that mm -hmm. month, that, that day, that sort of thing. But like, does there need to be like, hey, on the car ride home? Hey, how was your mental health today? Is that a, is that an everyday conversation? Is that a once a week conversation? Is that like like what are your thoughts on that? I think checking in when you notice something, but also weekly. Um, my biggest recommendation: they are motivated by food, and if you take them, <laughs> so I'm true. serious though. So they're true. motivated by going to get food, and they will talk if you reward them with food. So you take them <laughs> wow. to dinner. I hear that a lot, like going to dinner with their mom or dad or lunch. Like that is a time in the car on the way home from school is not it. Like they hate that because they're so drained and burnt out from uh -huh. um, school. So you're going to get the worst response as a parent. Like I'm going to get sometimes my three o'clock or four o'clock sessions. I'm getting the worst response as a therapist because they're just done mm -hmm. um, as much as you want an after school therapy session. They're, they're pretty drained, but I think when it's mealtime or having a intentional time that you go on a walk or something, if they're moving or eating, they're more willing to talk. They do not want to sit still and just stare at their parent and have this conversation. That's <laughs> so, so awkward. Good. Yes. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, la uh, last question I have. Would you say that um, uh, like a mom, daughter, dad, daughter, um, mom to son, dad to son, like – 
which is like which is better to have that conversation like is it is it is it male to male is it female to female is it uh mom to son dad to daughter like what what have you seen like as the best uh way to go into that conversation it's gonna be hard to yeah again not on step a- on toes but i will <laughs> say that it really varies per kid yeah. um who which parent is more emotionally in tune with the kids, it's not always the mom. You would think it would always be the mom. Um, it sometimes is the dad. And so that's one of the questions in my first therapy session with a kid I ask, like, who do you, who's your parent that you talk to about struggles? Sometimes it's neither. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's one or the other. Um, so only you know your family and your kid well enough to who they're most comfortable with. If you're the disciplinarian all the time. It may not be you, unfortunately, right now, but that changes, that shifts as that relationship grows um, and the kid grows um, and who needs to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, good. So, Lindsay, for the parent listening right now who's like, mm, I've I've just missed it. I, I think my kid's struggling. I think they could possibly be having some suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. I think they're depressed. I think they have anxiety wherever – they might land while listening to this. Maybe they're on that end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? What is their next step? How do they start talking about this now, even if they're like finding themselves today in the middle of this? What would you What would you tell them? I would say, you know, sitting down with your kid and assessing if they have gone to the place of making a plan on those thoughts um, if they've confessed those thoughts and we're assuming the parent knows, um, I would say there's lots of kids that have passive suicidal thoughts, which are like, I don't want to be in lo- alive anymore. You know, I wish I was never here. I, I describe it as if you're standing in a road, you're so depressed, you're not going to move if a car is coming towards you, but you're not running out to jump in front of the mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like active suicidal thoughts are like, okay, we're making a plan. We really we're now motivated. We don't want to be alive and we're going to do something about it. There is a difference and it kind of gives you a gauge of like where their thoughts have been. And also asking those questions as hard as it is as a parent to separate yourself and ask that, it normalizes like that your kid can open up about the level because they feel so scared by their thoughts that they're scared to scare other people. Um, And then contacting a counselor and that way, um, even if it's the school counselor first, sometimes that's easier if they have a relationship with your kid. I mean, our school counselors and social workers are trained in suicide prevention. They're trained in safety planning. Um, They have a whole process. And so if that's easier to reach out to than, you know, a stranger or a professional, start there. Um, And that way your kid can have somebody at school too. For sure. And you were mentioning just in conversation that we had that, even the first step in counseling a lot of times is just an assessment. So mm-hmm. if to the parent who's listening, who's thinking, does my kid need this? What would you say to that parent? Just just get them, maybe it can't hurt, right? Like yeah. what would be your advice to the parent who's like, hmm, maybe, maybe my kid does need this? Yeah, I think that you can't ever go wrong by giving them a safe space um, for them to process with somebody else. Um, somebody that's not bringing their problems to the table, you know, as a therapist, we're just there to listen and process and help. Um, so I think there can't be anything wrong with someone going to counseling. That's my opinion that we could all work on something at all times. Um, and if 
most therapists will not keep someone in counseling if they don't need it. So if your kid is doing better, like my goal is always to move someone out of treatment. Like I don't want to keep somebody for four years. That means they've been in crisis or <laughs> right. unwell for four years. That's such a good point though. Um, we're That's all, such a good point. We're all trained to work towards that. Gotcha. Gotcha. The goal is to get everyone back to where they're high functioning mm-hmm. on their own. Without that's, that's gold. All right. So uh, what would you say uh, percentage of high school students and maybe even middle school students have these thoughts? Is this in everyone? Uh, I need to lean in and look at the ones who are thinking it and acting on it. Like, where, yeah, where are you with that? So I think when I was looking at research um, recently, like they're saying one in four, I would say, yeah, one in four or one in three is going to have some type of thought like, I want to give up and I wish this wasn't my life, like the passive type thoughts. The active thoughts as far as having a plan or wanting to harm themselves, um, those are probably less frequent. And I feel like that's a lot of living with something that has made those passive thoughts become more real. But these days, again, the black and white thinking, they just want to give up. If something's uncomfortable, or they're unhappy, it's hard for them to sit with being unhappy. So I think that it's more common than we think because they do see it and they do think about it um, and they hear it from their friends or they joke about it um, and they don't want to feel like they're feeling. (laughs) So they want, want out quote, but I I would say one in four will struggle um, with suicidal thoughts before they graduate high school. One in four. That's great. And I, I love what you said too, like their own thoughts terrify them. Mm-hmm. So like the importance of offering the safe space to where they, oh, this is, they have permission to talk about what honestly scares them. Um, that's, that's huge. Would you say it's connected developmentally? Is it, is this more predominant in high school, more, more predominant in middle school, one and the same? I think it's definitely more prevalent in middle and high school. A lot of my work that I, I worked with freshmen at Fairhope for two years, so only freshmen. And that gave me a really good perspective to how coming out of middle school mm-hmm. um, on Isaac's note affects them. Middle school is where a lot of issues start, like eating disorders, um, bullying, depression and anxiety. If I like nine times out of 10, I have a client and I'm like, when did this start? It was it was sixth, seventh or eighth grade. Um, almost every time it was baffling. So um I think that developmentally, a lot of the struggles is like, am I going to feel better again after middle school? Mm. If we can get them to ninth grade, a lot of times they're like, wow, I have more freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, kids right. are getting a little nicer, hopefully. Yeah. Um, or I can get away from them. Yeah. I think, too, we, we kind of see that on student ministry side, you know, where middle school is like this time of like finding friends, losing friends, you know, like, and then high school, if they've kind of they've kind of settled in a little. Um, Some of them are a little bit later in development, but those middle school years are so formative and so tough. And like, I've listened to other podcasts, you know, and they're just like, if you could just hold on for those parents out there, just hold on for those middle school years. Like, like keep, keep asking the questions, keep showing up, even the eye rolls and the frustration and the storming out of the room, like just keep being there and keep being a steady, like you're saying, a consistent God honoring, God loving, pointing to to the scripture, you know, loving them no matter what, keep showing up. So I think that is so, so good. Before we wrap up, Lindsay, um, 
can you just give us just some local resources just really quickly, you know, for parents out there listening, like, what do I do now? Who can they, who can they talk to? We got school, but what else is there that they could kind of go to? So um, there's two local resources. Jennifer Claire Moore Foundation is amazing. They put the peer helpers in the schools, but they're also just really accessible. They have tons of resources, tons of um classes. One is called Youth Mental Health First Aid, um, which is a training you can get certified in. They offer them throughout the county. Um, Really, I think every educator should have it, um, but it's really cool. It's like a first aid class for any sort of mental health struggles with teenagers, Um, and parents can take it. Um, So that's one. And then one more moment. That is a parent-driven organization um, that started out of um, Baldwin County, and they provide Zoom parent group support groups during every week. Um, And you can get on Zoom because we all know we're stressed at night and can't (laughs) physically get somewhere. Um, And it's other parents who are struggling with their kids, mental health, bullying, you know, whatever. And um, they're super great. uh, They've done a lot of work in our county. Very cool. Yeah. One last quick question, Um, kind of again on the practical side. Uh, Are there any... TV shows, movies, influencers that you would advise parents, hey, this, these people, this TV show maybe encourages to have a negative mental health or encourages suicide. Like it, mm-hmm. like they say suicide's good or they, they spin it in a positive sense. Hmm. I think that every... Every TV show that idealizes the teenage world as, um, you know, sex, partying, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things and like this life that isn't real and body image that isn't real fuels the... (laughs) We're like thinking of 15 shows right now. It fuels their thinking that they're not normal and that is. And Mm -hmm. I think so as much as it's not a specific show, it's more just what the message is about what reality versus not reality and knowing how your kids influenced by it. I mean, it's the same with video games, you know, like kind of just being able to detach from reality and know that's an escape. Yeah, that's good. So good. Lindsay, thank you so much. We're going to probably all listen to this over and over again. (laughs) Uh, But parents, we want you to know that we are here for you. We're going to link some of these resources and be sending some of them out to you. We're also going to link Lindsay and her um, mental health facility just within this podcast and um, some of the resources that we send you. And so her email, all those things. Um, But we are so truly just thankful for you today, Lindsay, and your work and what you do with youth and with probably some of the kids' parents who are listening today. And so thank you for what you do. Um, And parents, we thank you for listening today. We hope that this helps you start some conversations and just have a resource. And we hope that you'll be right back here next month with Parent University. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.